0: William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org, and with me I have my co-host, researcher, minister, and friend, Charles Paisley, the founder of ChristianGospelChurch.org and together we're examining the history and the intersections in history between William Branham and other key figures that either influenced or were influenced by the post-World War II healing revivals. Charles, I don't think we could even begin to tell our listeners how to even fathom the sheer volume of information that you and I had to sift through this week for this particular episode. It, it's incredible the number of newspaper articles and pictures and even documentaries that I watched, you know, to try to gather the information for this. And I came to realize very quickly that it's not all quite right. Um, we're examining Gordon Lindsay, and I feel that... You know, honestly, I feel like he is probably the most important figure that we have introduced into this podcast. Gordon Lindsay is literally the reason why we have a new apostolic reformation today. If not for him and his work and coordination and collaboration with hundreds if not thousands of other figures not just william branham but key figures that their influence created the new apostolic reformation none of this would have even existed and as you are aware and i came across you know you can't really trust what's out there most of what's written about gordon Lindsay was written by himself And there's a huge part of his history that has been fully erased from his biographies, just like William Branham, during the same time period, interestingly. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, I, I got a little frustrated in watching the documentaries, trying to find something that's balanced, something that, you know, at least showed both sides of the man. And they're all presented in favor of Gordon Lindsay as though he himself wrote it and excluded all of the good stuff. So I today we're going to try something new and different. We probably won't do this all the time, but there isn't a good documentary out there for Gordon Lindsay. So... I know this is like a makeshift documentary that you and I can create, but we're going to try to throw together the real story, not just the, you know, what everything else out there focuses on how he was this quote unquote God's general man who created all of these wonderful ministries. They've omitted so much, and I think it would be good if we just dove into the stuff that they omitted and created a counterbalanced documentary. W- what do you think about this?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea for this episode. Let's give it a shot and um, share even more images and pictures than we than we have in the past, and see if uh, you know, see if it helps the experience. Any?
0: So, Charles, let's dive into it. Um, I know this won't be as professional as some of the other documentaries out there, but To be honest, I think the researchers who are interested in the actual history really don't care about the professionalism. And, hey, we're just a couple of guys who researches for fun. So let's throw it together and let's see how it turns out.
1: Gordon Lindsay is critically important. He's one of the most important figures around William Branham during the the peak years of his popularity and the height of his fame. Um, But, you know, after his final breakup with William Branham, William Branham said a whole lot of very terrible things about him, you know, even publicly in his sermons. And (laughs) he did. Most people in the message look at Gordon Lindsay as a little bit of a villain figure, John. Uh, And a lot of that's to do with how William Branham painted him after their relationship broke up. But in in doing that, I think a lot of people in the message overlook just how critical Gordon Lindsay was to the whole thing. Uh, but Gordon Lindsay, in, in one way, was a genius of a man, wasn't he, John? I mean, as
0: we've <laughs> yeah,
1: as we already talked about, he was the mastermind behind Voice of Healing. And the things he accomplished and pulled off uh, took a lot of incredible talent and skill, you know, uh, to do what he did. And and a lot of what you read about Gordon Lindsay, it'll focus on those things, and he gets a lot of praise and accolades for all of that stuff. And I, I do think it's fair to acknowledge his genius for what he accomplished, right? Uh, but in this episode, I think we're primarily going to focus on the aspects of Gordon Lindsay's life that you don't find in his biographies. Um, there's, there's some aspects of his life that are really totally fundamental to understanding who he was and what drove him. Um, and those are facts I think we need to put on the pay- table to let people consider and so, why don't we just jump straight in, John? I'll start at the beginning. Um, so, Gordon Lindsay was born in Zion, Illinois, into the commune of John Alexander Dowie while well, he was still living. And right there, John, it's interesting to me how so many of these people around William Branham came directly from John Alexander Dowie's commune uh, to come into his orbit. It's It's interesting.
0: It's crazy interesting because John Alexander Dowie was also a financial genius and the empire that he built, very few have been able to replicate. Uh, In fact, I would be willing to go so far as to say that no one has really replicated it. There is not another cult who has annexed an entire city in the history of the United States that I'm aware of, um, you know, after the United States formed, except for John Alexander Dowie. And it's not just that, Several key figures in William Branham's ministry were directly out of Dowie's sect, but there were also, you know, many many men and women who were influenced by John Alexander Dowie's sect. So you've got this crazy interesting web of connections. Some people came directly out of out of the cult out of the commune, some were living in Dowie's commune. Others were either part of the religion were influenced by the religion. And then when that, you know, obviously entered mainstream Pentecostalism, Dowie had a strong influence on Pentecostalism, you can arguably say that there were hundreds, if not thousands of people who were influenced by and influencing others from John Alexander Dowie.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's incredible the influence that he had into early Pentecostalism. And if, if you look at the branches of Pentecostalism where he was most influential in, um, I, I think it's fair to say the message branch of Pentecostalism and the British Israel branch of Pentecostalism, they are the branches where Dowie's influence was strongest of all. And so... Um, you know, as, as we talked about Gordon Lindsay, uh, uh, being born there in that community, I, I think it's important again, um, to just kind of re- remind our listeners what Zion was like. Um, Gordon's Lindsay's parents, they'd moved there around the year 1900. And if you recall from our episode with F.F. F. Bosworth, it was not easy to get into Zion, um, in, in one sense no. of the word. I mean, yeah, Dowie would take anybody who'd come, but the requirements to get in were not easy. Um, Dowie required the people to put all of their money and all of their assets in a fake bank that he controlled. And he ended up robbing them all blind before it was over with. And to get land in Zion to build their homes, they had to sign 1,000-year leases on the property. You know, because he was teaching they were going to live out the, the millennium in Zion. You know, there's pictures of, here's the billboard going into Zion. And it clearly says, you got to sign a 1,000-year lease <laughs> to get into this place. Um, <laughs> y- you know, it, it, I say that because I think it's important to recognize just what living in Zion meant. You know, all the people living yeah. in Zion had to go through this to get in there. And someone who would give all of their assets to Dowie and sign a thousand-year lease, um, that says something about their state of mind, doesn't it? Um, it does. Th- these are people who have been seriously deceived – They believe they're going to live a 1,000 years. They're signing 1,000-year leases, right? And they're not just deceived about finances, but they have been religiously deceived into believing things that are absolutely delusional, John. I mean, these people are deceived to the point that they're delusional. And the rank-and-file people living in Zion, Illinois are not in a rational state of mind. You know, what's happening in Zion is not normal. It's not normal Christianity. It's not healthy Christianity. Zion is a full-blown cult, um, and the average person living there is not in a rational state of mind. Rational people don't sign thousand-year no. leases. You know, and from everything I've read about Zion, John, that one fact, the fact that these people signed thousand-year leases— Kind of like the Sea Org, signing a million-year contract to get into the Sea Org. <laughs> it's uh, Scientology. It's it's it just that one fact alone just says so much to me about the state of mind of these people that are living in Zion. And, and there's Gordon Lindsay's family moved into there, yeah. rank-and-file members living in that commune.
0: Yeah, I think the researchers who were never in The Message, who are listening to this podcast, probably won't truly grasp the depth of what that means the people who are listening who have escaped william branham's cult of personality who were deeply programmed i think they'll kind of get it but this would be significantly worse i believe than william branham's former members because branham died in 1965 And before Branham could reach, you know, he was he was losing his mental faculties, too, at the end of his life, William Branham was, and he died before we saw the climax of that. So, for example, Jim Jones did not die about the period that he was losing his mental faculties. He moves to Jonestown, and there's a climax, and we see what happened. Dowie lived out most of his life until, you know, he had a mental break, he had a stroke, and he was losing his mind. Their cult was imploding, but as he was losing his mind, this is the period of time in which Gordon Lindsay was most heavily influenced. He was being... Basically, manipulated and brainwashed into Dowie's cult of personality that had introduced end of the world, you know, doomsday scenarios, just like the message cult, but it was extremely militant political cult. Also, like William Branham, but Dowie took it so far as that he created a new political organization that was, you know, literally, they were trying to invade Washington and replace. Replace the government with Dowieites. so we see this militant extremism and then it gets really interesting because Dowie moves off and the um, the control of the cult goes to Wilbur Voliva. and then there's this tug of war because Charles Fox Parham comes in to the commune Parham starts to convert people they take over and they become even I'm not going to say worse because Dowie was definitely worse, but they become more aggressively, um, hyper, hyper faith healing, hyper heal. You know, they, they actually killed a woman. I think we've talked about it in former episodes, but they, the paramites believed that they could heal somebody to the extent this woman was crippled with her bones were so, you know, Warped and crooked that she couldn't even stand up straight and they physically tried to straighten them to the extent that It just shattered her bones and it split the bone split long ways She died from the extreme stress of all of her bones cracking her legs her arms or hips. I mean everything That's the form of militant Christianity that Gordon Lindsay is under It's interesting because he became a paramite he toured in his early years, which we'll get into with John G. Lake, who was a paramite. He's working with FF Bosworth, who's also a paramite. So they're seeing the worst of Dowie. They're seeing it split and they're taking the more aggressive path, the, the more hyper extremism path with Charles Fox Parham. So this is the character that's being molded for William Branham's basically his, his first real campaign manager
1: right and you know as as all that's going on um, Gordon Lindsay and his parents are living right through it, right? You know, as Zion implodes as everyone's money disappears, and Dowie dies, all of those end of the world prophecies fail and end up it was just a big fantasy right yeah. um Gordon Lindsay and his family actually ended up totally destitute uh, they're ones that we we are we can be are we know for sure we're on the side that they lost everything. Um, they're definitely in the crowd that lost everything. Dowie robbed Gordon Lindsay's family blind. And, you know, they, they ultimately ended up leaving Zion to go live with extended family to get back on their feet. And so, you know, instead of experiencing a millennium and living out their thousand years on that lovely piece of leased land in Zion, right? <laughs> they lost everything. They lost everything. And, you know, you, you think that would wake a person up, right, John? Um, but John, as you and I know, it's very hard to wake up someone who's in a cult, isn't it? Yeah. And that didn't faze them. The failed prophecies, the deaths, being robbed blind by their cult leader did not wake Gordon Lindsay's family up, right? Um, that's the category that they fall into. And that's so hard for people who've never been in a cult to understand, John. But I think you and I, we, we I have... We've been down this road, you know. Um, Gordon Lindsay's family didn't wake up. They went through all that and they never woke up. And so, just like you mentioned, what do they do? Uh, Elijah Dowie died. So they go to the next Elijah that comes to town. Parham. You alright? Parham's claiming to be Elijah when he comes to town. And so, they they just jump to the next one. Well, one Dowie, here comes, uh, here comes, you know, Elijah number two. Let's, let's follow him. And so that's what they do. And Gordon Lindsay was a young man as you come into the 1910s, and he actually had his conversion experience um, in Charles Parham's revival meetings. Um, that's part of his testimony. And like, like I mentioned, Parham's claiming to be the next Elijah at that time. And so they kept going with him, and then after Parham dies, John, um, then John Lake claims to be an Elijah figure. <laughs> Right. So, so now they move on to what? Elijah number three, right? His family just jumped from Elijah to Elijah to Elijah, right? So, so John Lake, he ends up, um, living in the state of Oregon, um, or Washington rather, Spokane. And, um, well, he lives, I think he lives in both Washington and Oregon, Portland for a while, Spokane in a while. Anyways, they end up, Gordon Lindsay's family ends up going to John Lake's church, uh, and being part of what he's doing. And, you know, there's so much just like that in the message. Um, it's And this is a pattern that goes all the way back. I believe we can say this pattern definitively started with John Alexander Dowie. He was the first person that started this pattern of people jumping from one Elijah to the next Elisha to the next Elijah to the next Elisha all the way down. And and the thing is, um, John Lake is not the last Elijah that Bosworth or Gordon Lindsay is going to work with, is it, John? no it's not this is a pattern for these men right and uh to me that's a it's a sad story
0: and it takes several years to deprogram i mean i've i've been away from the cult of personality for over a decade and i still find things today that i struggle with a bit because i'm still processing and deprogramming what is the real world right well if you look at gordon Lindsay's life he joined as many maybe more but as many as four cults of personality in his lifetime before meeting william branham and then arguably once he joins with branham because of the way that he promotes william branham You can't say that he was a member of the message because the message really formed much later. But the cult of personality that was being created, not only was he a member of, he was helping to create the cult of personality. So that puts five cults of personality in Gordon Lindsay's lifespan up to this point. And there is no time for deprogramming. He is still a very hyper-extremist religion Programmed mind whenever he begins touring with William Branham.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about British Israelism, but the Malachi 4 prophecy, the, as is interpreted in the message, comes from British Israelism, right? And yes. it, it's the British Israel framework that all of these people are using. John Lake, John Dowie, Charles Parham, they're all British Israelites. They're all following that framework. That's how they arrive at that Malachi 4 prophecy. And, 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 Gordon Lindsay and his family are, are deeply British Israelites too. And the sad thing is, is just that they, they went through all of that and they never woke up. You know, it is so hard, John. I, for someone on the outside, you mean your cult leader robbed you blind and you still believed in him? Uh, you know, uh, you mean your cult leader killed people and you still followed him? Like, they, they don't get it. Like, but, but we get it, don't we? I mean, it's it's very hard to explain. But when you're in there, you're blind to it. Like all of this was it was the will of God. Um, you know, this is a test. God's testing me. He robbed me blind. Um, oh, this is just the devil trying to uh, make them look bad, right? Like it's it doesn't phase you.
0: Your whole worldview has has been morphed into something that doesn't really exist, and those elements. Stay with him. If you look at the very early issues of Voice of Healing, the article is written by Gordon Lindsay, and then Even take a step before that, before Voice of Healing formed, just look through the newspapers at the titles of the sermons and what he's talking about. This man was molded by the doctrine of Dowie to be believing that the end of days is coming, that the Anglo-Saxon race is the supreme race, and we need to overthrow the government and put them in power, and that the government has been invaded by Whatever they called it back then, I don't think they used the word mongrels up to that point, but there was another, I'm sure there was another loaded language keyword that they used to say that these government officials are the bad guys. So this is the character that is has been molded, and he never, ever had a chance to deprogram from this.
1: He was born right into it. Yeah, He was born under Elijah number one, he was saved under Elijah number two, and he was ordained a minister under Elijah number three. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, John Lake, John Lake is where he spent his, probably his most formative years. And John Lake, of them all, John Lake seems to have had the strongest influence on him. Um, John Lake is the one, like I mentioned, he ordained him to be a minister. Um, he helped him get his first tent, set up his first revivals, and get him going. So... John Lake was the was the biggest influence on Gordon Lindsay of all and so I, I think we got to talk just a little bit about John Lake too John um just to tell uh, what it was like and, you know and John Lake is someone else who is very very positively he's positively looked at in the message like FF Bosworth level right um But there's things that they don't tell us about John Lake either in the message, John.
0: (laughs) There is so much concealed. And John Lake, you know, I think he's one, is he not one of God's generals? I think he is one of the, one of the quote unquote God's generals. But this man was a crook.
1: He was. I mean, the stuff he did after Dowie died. So he was involved in trying to take over. Um, Zion, he's actually, the, uh, some of the articles refer to him as the co-leader with Parham after Dowie dies, um, in that faction, uh, coming out. And then as the, I mean, I think there's more than, uh, we, we've got the newspaper articles on the one, but as you read through the articles, it sounds like there's actually a fair number of people that have been killed in yeah. Zion. You know, it, it's, mul- it's a multiple number of deaths and fatalities that have happened. Um, and as that happens, um and there's more accusations of financial abuse um John Lake um I think it's fair to say flees the country um yeah. because he's implicated in some of that stuff and so he goes to South Africa as a missionary uh with his family he he spends about 5 years in South Africa and then after he comes back things cool down he that's when he goes out uh, to you know the Pacific Northwest and starts his church up there which Gordon Lindsay and his family then join uh onto and so he, he's done all that. But here's the thing. While he's out living with them uh, and he's their pastor, he's still in crime. I mean, he is arrested multiple times, John. I, I have, uh, you know, I, I've got, you know, here's some pictures of John Lake. You know, but he is arrested multiple times through his time out there. I just pulled off three of the newspaper articles here. But he, he's arrested for um, financial crimes, uh, for fe- selling fake stock, for defrauding people out of money. Um and this is why Gordon Lindsay and them are in his church, right? Yeah. So Gordon Lindsay and them have to know that, I mean, their pastor has been arrested and jailed multiple times, you know, for for financial fraud uh, in those years. And it seems things just keep getting hotter and hotter for him, and John Lake ends up leaving the Pacific Northwest and moved to Texas, which which is a pattern we see with all these people, you know, like Roy Davis. It gets hot in one city, so he moves to the next, right? Uh
0: And I think the Parham implosion is bigger than people realize. I've I've actually not mentioned this in the book because it's very complicated to try to understand, and I'll try to sum up in a paragraph of sentences if I can. But you've got Parham who was nearly convicted of sodomy if you go back and read through what came out during the trial i'm very surprised that he got off there were it wasn't just one boy there were other children in other other cities across texas
1: and he confessed that he did it he just said i was i was sleep sodomizing i was asleep while i was sodomizing them like i did this in my sleep
0: Right. But
1: what in the world?
0: While saying this, he's holding meetings with children away from their parents. So he's got all these children that he literally is sodomizing the children, and he's holding children's meetings. It's a big, big deal. But then he's in jail at the time that the most famous death happened of the Paramite sect in Zion. The woman was brutally tortured. If you, I've got the articles on the website if you want to read it. It is probably too descriptive to even mention in this podcast what they did to this woman. It's horrific. So this happens, and they were nearly arrested for this too. Parham was in prison, so he, or in jail, so there's no way that they could tie him to this. But it was his sect that he had, you know, turned brainwashed into becoming hyper-extremist, religious fanatics. Well, after this happened, several men had to go hiding in various places. And like you said, Lake goes off and he's in South Africa. What's interesting, I think a lot of people miss is that Parham was also influenced by Frank Sanford, who killed several of his uh, cult of personality members, starved them to death whenever he also (laughs) was fleeing prosecutions. And he goes to evangelize the world. He was also British Israelite. Also British Israelite. So Parham also escaped, you know, the the heat, if you will, by claiming that remember, he is the one who allegedly introduced speaking in tongues. There were others who did it before him, but he's the one that, that got labeled with it for some reason. He begins to claim that he can go evangelize to the world. It doesn't matter what language they speak because God is going to let us speak in their tongue. And to this point in time, according to what I've read in the newspapers, there wasn't a single intelligible phrase from these people. So he is aware of this. He knows that they're speaking gibberish. He escapes prosecution by Go, uh, I think they went into China, so they go into China pretending that they can speak Chinese through God, the power of God. <laughs> End up, they can't, obviously, and the whole thing implodes. And but he has escaped that heat into another country.
1: Yeah, and, and Amy Simple McPherson is actually one of those original missionaries that went out thinking she could speak in tongues and speak Chinese. And <laughs> yes, after all of this, right? So she is, she is herself. The missionary uh, along with her husband uh, going out to speaking tongues to convert the Chinese. So,
0: and another strange tie, Amy Simple McPherson trained Frida Lindsay, Gordon Lindsay's wife, in her Anglist Temple Bible school. So, you've got these connections that just come together like this.
1: I, I know, and we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about that because there's other interesting <laughs> figures there with them when all that's happening, right? So, right, yeah. So, so John Lake, um there's things here about him that they never told us, right? They never told us um, the times that he was in jail and all the people he stole from, and they never told us... There's stuff about the Africa. There's so much stuff. We could do a whole episode on him, but he, he got in trouble in Africa for racial things, John. Um, you know, there, there's a, just a lot of stuff there that they just didn't tell us about him. You know, they just didn't tell us about him. And... Here's the thing, um, John. Gordon Lindsay, he, as you mentioned, he was a prolific writer, and his writing spread far and wide, um, as he did his work with William Branham especially. And he wrote the biographies on John Dowie and, yes. and John Lake, right? And for most of the Pentecostal world, Gordon Lindsay is the man responsible for painting um, these men as heroes to the Pentecostal world. Right. Gordon Lindsay is is honestly the man who defined how Pentecostalism looks at John Dowie and John Lake. He did that. He did that. And for him, John, to exclude the thefts and the deaths and the jail times and the arrests, for him to exclude all of that from his biographies of those people um. Yeah, it's a disservice to all of us, wasn't it?
0: It's really hard. And I'm a little bit torn this period of time because, remember, he was manipulated into a mind control cult. One of the fundamental elements of a cult is they conceal critical information. In the message, we were never told that William Branham was working with the second in command of the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> we were never told this. Gordon Lindsay, I am certain, as a child, there were things that he was never told, that mm-hmm. he was fully unaware of. But where it gets really interesting is if you look at the timeline of these men that we're talking about, there were things that Gordon Lindsay would have seen during his lifetime that he knew was very very critical to these men but he's the one he is the reason that they are a god's general his his writings basically turn these guys into famous heroes of the faith and the everyone that i've examined so far is a scoundrel
1: right like like he had to know john dowie robbed his family blind and lost everything. had to know He had to know that. Right. He had to know that John Lake, his pastor, got arrested and was in jail all these times. Like he had to know these things. Right. Yeah. And and I'm with you, John. I think. Probably as a result of his mindset being in these groups to him, this is just facts that have to be omitted when he writes their biographies. Um, because that's just the devil or something. But, right. the, the truth is, I, I, I think for whatever reason, we can definitely say, you know, Gordon Lindsay cannot be trusted as a source on these men's lives. Um, the omissions that he left out of their biographies is, is to the point that it's really kind of dangerous and very deceptive. Um, because the facts that he omitted are very important to helping us evaluate, uh, the men he was writing about. Including William Branham, I'll say. And, and John, I like I said, I am still on the fence still. I, I think Gordon Lindsay probably was, at this point in his life, still under some kind of uh, delusion in his mind as a result of all of this stuff that he was born into, raised in, and grew up in. and That is a terrible shame. Yeah. So, like I mentioned, uh, Gordon Lindsay, he was ordained by John Lake as a minister. And John Lake helped him get his first revival started. And Gordon Lindsay and John Lake, they're both connected to F.F. Bosworth. And Gordon Lindsay actually ended up being a a minister in the Assemblies of God, where Bosworth was the director there for his first few years of ministry. But if you follow uh, Gordon Lindsay's life pattern, you'll find that he actually is following a pattern very similar to uh, the other Pentecostal ministers who are of a deep British-Israel persuasion. Uh, and like F.F. F. Bosworth, he leaves Assemblies of God um, as Assemblies of God really starts to formulate its doctrinal points and comes out strongly against British Israelism. He leaves there, and we see what happens is he actually transfers over to the Foursquare Churches. So we're talking Amy Semple McPherson's churches. Headquarters is the Angelus Temple. Her denomination that she builds is called the Four Square Churches. He ends up moving over to her denomination, which I think, as we've mentioned before, ultimately becomes the last bastion of British Israelism within mainstream Pentecostalism. And so Gordon Lindsay was working and doing this, working as part of the Angelus Temple denomination, right up to the point in time that he ends up becoming William Branham's campaign manager. Um, and he had been, uh, I think by the time he meets William Branham, he's been a a leader and minister in their denomination for 20 years and as you mentioned Gordon Lindsay's wife Frida he actually met her through the Angelus Temple because she was uh, attending the seminary there at the Angelus Temple and and if our listeners will recall the Angelus Temple as you come into the 1930s and 1940s um They're that last bastion of British Israelism, and they're attracting all of the British Israelite, Christian identity-affiliated Pentecostal people into orbit around their church because they're friendly to that belief set. And Wesley Swift, the father of Christian identity theology, he's a preacher at at Angelus Temple at the same time that Gordon Lindsay's in this group. And in fact, Gordon Lindsay's wife went to seminary with Wesley Swift in the same years, and Leroy Kopp was there in the same years, the guy who did the 20th century prophet video. So Gordon Lindsay has very demonstrable links to these people.
0: Yeah. You know, it wasn't until this week of research that I really thought through that because Wesley Swift seems to be this hyper-extreme version of the Foursquare Church— and he's, he kind of separates from the four square church whenever he becomes famous for it. So the question that I had leading up to this week was, did he form this in his mind after leaving or was he trained in this way in the Angelus Temple? Well, now that we see multiple people in Angelus Temple, plus our, our missing link character, which we'll bring into the story in a bit, we see multiple minds who are alike Which tells me that in this Bible school, they were training these people to be hyper, you know, Anglo-Saxon race, the supreme race of people. The things that molded Wesley Swift's character also molded Frieda Frieda Lindsay's character, Leroy Cop. All all the people that are associated with this seem to have the same ideologies. So this turns into a bigger mess than I realized.
1: Absolutely. and. Wesley Swift is the Anglo-Saxon Bible study leader. That is who he ends up being. So the man teaching British Israelism to these people in Angelus Temple, he is the leader of the British Israelite school of thought at Angelus Temple, Wesley Swift. Okay, so there, there is no... There there's almost no chance, John, that anybody who was interested in British Israelism at Angelus Temple was not deeply acquainted with Wesley Swift um at this time. No, he and so and as we'll go to find out, Gordon Lindsay was was deep in British Israelism at this point. Um and so the Angelus Temple in the nineteen thirties and nineteen forties, it really is so important to to this whole story and Uh, It's a hub of ideas and so many things. It's a melting pot where white supremacy and Pentecostalism and British Israelism and Christian identity are all coming together, right? And this, this church is where you can find key leaders in the white supremacist movement sitting in church pews next to the leading figures of Pentecostalism. That is happening in this church literally. And some of the times, the... Supra- white supremacists are literally wearing their white hoods they're like they came to church yeah. in their white hoods like like that's even in the newspapers in the 20s and stuff so Angelus Temple is very important to this story and and Amy Semple McPherson is fostering an environment that is um accepting and tolerant of these really radical views right um and and, you know, when we say that Gordon Lindsay and the Angelus Temple were already home to those radical views, you know, it's not just us saying that, right? But this a hundred years ago, you go back a hundred years, the people outside of the Angelus Temple were, were accusing them of being radical at that time, John. I, I think I, I printed um, some of the articles here. Let me see if I can find them real quick.
0: While you're looking that up, <clears throat> there's another significant point that I'll bring up that I you know we have to avoid conspiracy theory but this is so significant that we have to at least mention its existence the american bond was in los angeles and they heavily influenced los angeles this actually led to the basically the rebirth of the los, of the california Ku Klux Klan through key figures that we're going to mention, including Wesley Swift. And some of these key figures were definitely in the Ange- Angeles temple. Definitely. We've proven that. So you've got this Nazi underground in Los Angeles and although we can't say that Amy Simple McPherson was a Nazi or working with the Nazis, we can say that there were people who were involved in this that were working with her. So you've got this weird connection which we're going to build on as we go that looks very bad.
1: Right. She she was she was very tolerant of Nazis. We can say that for sure. Yes. Okay. So yes. here's Gerald Burton Winrod. You know, we we talked about him with the Great Sedition Trial. And we mentioned that he preached at Angelus Temple. Um, and this all happened while Gordon Lindsay was in their denomination, in their group. Um, so 1938, Amy Semple McPherson gets sick and she can't preach for a while. So she turns her church over um, to Gerald Burton Winrod. She invites, she invites him in to more or less take her place in the church as for, for the period of her illness. And when that happens, um, it hits the news all over LA. I mean, here it is. Kansas Hitler, uh, to take over pastorship at, um, Angelus Temple. Um, protests erupt outside. Like, this was radical back then, and the people knew it was radical back then, John. Um, but she brings in Gerald Winrod, who is, this man is a Nazi. For goodness sake, he is a Nazi.
0: Definitely a Nazi.
1: He She brings him in and lets him take over the pastorship at the church for a period of time. And as she does that, John, um, 1938, um, and as I've mentioned, she's already been publishing his material in their in their newsletters and through the Foursquare denominations. Um, as she does that, you, like as we read through these articles, there's one here where it talks about a man named um, Giles Knight. He is the president of the Foursquare churches. He's there personally endorsing Winrod. Yep, we we're gonna have Winrod. We like him too. You know, he is the same man who worked with Harry Colt to set up the Sharon orphanage, right? Um, and these these people are they don't have a problem with this Nazi, right? Who No. Who who this is this is before the sedition trials happen, but this man is is definitely already preaching and teaching Nazi like ideas. Now this is before World War Two started, right? It's before Hitler has started exterminating the Jews. It's just persecution at this point. But at this stage they're comfortable with with the anti-jewish rhetoric with the nazi rhetoric that's coming out of out of mouths of men like Gerald Winrod.
0: Right. And I don't think we mentioned this in our Winrod episode because it was speculation, but we have to introduce it here as a key fact. Winrod is from Kansas and he was definitely a pentecostal person. Pentecostal preacher, even though, you know, he transitioned to other things. He was a Pentecostal in the early years. And Charles Fox Parham also, his Parhamite sect was from Kansas. We've never been able to identify who it was, at least I haven't yet. But his wife mentions that he was a, Winrod was a member of a very famous Pentecostal person's sect in Kansas. There's only there's one only that one. I've been able to come across. <laughs> there's only one guy. It's it is definitely I mean, I can't say definitely, but it looks very bad. I'll put it like that.
1: Yeah, I mean who when you think famous Pentecostal preacher from Kansas, I mean, there's really only one. So you know, it it, it seems almost certain that Gordon Winrod and given the dates of everything, was in Pentecostalism from its inception, right? With with people in kansas so something else he was there from the beginning definitely it seems like uh just what capacity is hard to say but he was there from the beginning of this stuff
0: i'm going to correct you and i'm going to leave it leave it as is because you said gordon winrod oh. that's a key <laughs> that's a different key figure which we'll introduce later but to get the you know the people who are deep into this history and want to understand more gordon winrod was gerald winrod's son and once it turns into the neo-nazis and turns to very 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 bad things there's an interesting tie back to jeffersonville indiana through his son gordon so (laughs) be aware we're talking about gerald burton winrod here not gordon his son Uh
1: Sorry, I mixed them up. Yeah, I, I remember when his son was arrested and went to jail for all the stuff he did. You know, our pastors were very – this is what – this is when we found this guy, and I'm like, are you telling me this is Gordon Winrod's dad? <laughs> oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, Gordon – I know. We know – I know about Gordon Winrod. Our pastor uh, defended him tooth and nail in the 90s, Gordon Winrod. Yeah. And I find out this guy's his dad. I'm like, holy cow, what in the world – There were things
0: Uh, hidden even from me, but once I realized that there was a tie back to Jeffersonville, I was like, oh my gosh, you can't, I cannot believe that the neo-Nazis were tied back to Jeffersonville. uh,
1: Oh, anyways, bringing it back to Gordon Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. So bringing it back to Gordon Lindsay, um, he was in Amy Semple McPherson's denomination while all of this was going on, and while Winrod... Is, I think, two weeks after Winrod takes over pastorship for Amy Semple McPherson, Gordon Lindsay gets promoted in the denomination to be a church planner. Okay? And he goes out and starts planting churches. And he's primarily working in the western U.S., Montana, Idaho, that region, which, uh, I, I won't say what I'm thinking there. But anyways, he was in, <laughs> he was in the Montana, Idaho region, uh, planting churches at that point. Okay? If, if, yeah. if you know the history of Christian identity, I don't even need to say out loud, you know, you, it's just gonna. <laughs> so he goes out to that area, he's planning churches. Um, and here's an, there's a couple really, um, interesting things too, I'll just point out. His district that he was planning churches in is adjacent to Saskatchewan, adjacent to the district where a Sharon Orphanage was built, right? So there, that's interesting. It's interesting to me that Gordon Lindsay, was connected to all of this, that he was, you know, as you read the things that he was preaching from newspaper articles from 30s and into the 40s, it's very clear that he's preaching along the same line of headline prophecy stuff that Winrod is preaching, you know, American prophecy, 1933 in prophecy, yeah. Hitler in prophecy, <laughs> Mussolini in prophecy, uh, World War Two in prophecy. Um, 666 and World War II, yeah. you know, it, these are all the things that, <laughs> and that's the same stuff that Winrod is preaching, which the same stuff William Branham tells us he was preaching back then, the three isms. Um, so they're all, you know, in that same mindset, but it's, it's deeper. It's even deeper because Gordon Lindsay is more than just preaching this stuff as a church planner in Foursquare. Gordon Lindsay is the organizer of the Anglo-Saxon World Federation conferences in that period of time as well. And I, I printed out just a few of the articles. There's well over a dozen articles on this, but here's a here's a couple. Gordon Lindsay is the organizer for the Anglo-Saxon World Federation conferences, and he's speaking at them. Um, yeah. and, and keep in mind, this is at this time, I mean, this is still the, the central body nationally for British Israelism. This is the central conference where national British Israelites all come to um, to talk about British Israel ideas. But Gordon Lindsay is the organizer for these conferences. And it's it's a little more than that, though. Because it's not just um, people who enjoy the thought of thinking, we're the ten lost tribes of Israel showing up to this thing. The leading white supremacists of the United States are also attending these conferences. Um Wesley Swift is at these conferences. Um, Gerald Smith, uh, an even more famous Nazi than Gerald Winrod is at these conferences. Gerald Winrod is coming to these conferences. Um, on and on it goes. Uh, very prominent Klan figures are at these conferences. And Gordon Lindsay is the man organizing them, and he's even speaking, uh, on the topics at them. And so, you know, I would love to know more about this period of Gordon Lindsay's life, John. I, I really would like would to know too. more about what is going on here exactly.
0: So it might be good, Charles, if we recap, because I'm, I'm certain that there are people who are listening to this because of the name Gordon Lindsay, who probably, you know, may or may not have heard the previous episodes. But let's recap a bit. So you've got <clears throat> the Paramite sect, who is you know, hyper-extremist Christianity, deeply connected to Amy Simple McPherson and the Angeles Temple. You've got Winrod, who is a definite Nazi connected to the temple. You've got the Nazis, the actual <laughs> literal Nazis in Los Angeles, who have these spiderweb of connections to Angeles Temple. You've got many people who birthed the neo-Nazi movement who were in the California clan that was birthed out of this, also connected to the Angelus Temple, you've got Roy Davis who comes into town in, what is it, 1944, same time all of this is going on, sets up an orphanage who uh, they are using the term Americanism, but basically they're indoctrinating children into this Anglo-Saxon supreme race theology in this, in this orphanage. That's the same time Sharon Orphanage is being funded by the Angelus Temple. Amy Simple McPherson is one of the heads of the Sharon Orphanage. You've got Gordon Lindsay who goes out to Montana. We don't know what he's doing, but it looks very obvious that they're planting orphanages and they're to some extent working with children. And remember, Charles, the the wolf, the crazy wolf Newspaper article where William Branham has a live wolf. He got that from Montana,
1: and he got it in nineteen forty-one. The same year that Gordon Lindsay right. was church planning in Montana. So, yes, interesting coincidences, isn't it? I mean, is it is it just a coincidence? Maybe is it maybe more? Maybe you know it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because he wasn't supposed to have met any of them back then. Yet we can put them in, in fairly close proximity, right? Um, actually during that time, we can put him certainly in, even in the same city, um, in Montana in 1941. So, it's very important to grasp what the Anglo-Saxon World Federation is here, okay? Like, and Gordon Lindsay being the organizer of it, this is not a small thing. Gordon Lindsay has to be some important figure here to be chosen, elected, appointed, whatever, to organize their conferences. Cause these are the yeah. these are the conferences going all the way back to the mold of what John Wilson and Charles Smythe was doing from the very beginning, Charles Totten. Like what they do is they would they would run these things almost like an academic sort of a thing. They'd have a conference, they'd have a a lecture hall, and then they'd have breakouts where you could go listen to this speaker on this topic and that speaker on that topic and they would basically present the British Israel ideas as um, academic things, you know. So they would, you know, someone would speak on how the English language evolved from Hebrew. Um, someone would speak on the latest finds from the Great Pyramids, right. Um, they they would present it like this. And we actually have, we, we can tell from these uh, advertisements who was even speaking at some of these. And one of them speaking at these was Clem Davies, uh, again, a clan figure. And we can also look at, at these things and know um, from, from topics that they were telling Serpent Seed in these conferences as well. So, this is not just a British-Israel religious academic idea type thing going on here. This is full-blown, um, also white supremacy that is happening here in this conference, right? Wesley Swift is there. Gerald Winrod is there. Gerald Smith. Is there, right? The leading white supremacists of the United States are at these conferences, right? Hands down. And Gordon Lindsay is the man organizing the conferences.
0: Clem Davies is there. Clem Davies was recruiting for the Klan, and he's a key figure that I think we may have mentioned in the past, but he was, um, You know, deeply connected to the Kardashian family whenever they were supporting William Branham. So you've got these British Israel white supremacists, they're all collaborating together. Gordon Lindsay, they did not just choose him by mistake or by happenstance. You don't just like you and I wouldn't suddenly become the speaker at this conference. We would have had to have been, you know, have highly influential talking about the subject matter if they were going to have us as the keynote speaker. We can't say what he was saying. We can kind of gleam from his, you know, the titles of his sermons. But Gordon Lindsay was a key figure in this.
1: For me, as I said again, I I really, really would like to know more about exactly what Gordon Lindsay is doing here in the 1930s and 40s as it relates to British Israelism. Because, honestly, I mean, this seems like a very important aspect of his life. It seems like British Israelism is a real passion for Gordon Lindsay during this period of time. I mean... It has to be if he's organizing their national conferences.
0: It has to be. And, and like William Branham, why has this been erased?
1: I, exactly. Why is this fact totally absent from all of his biographies? Why is this fact not in God's generals that yeah. Gordon Lindsay was organizing the British Israel conferences during this period of time? Like, why is it left out? And, and I have an opinion, John. My opinion is... At a certain point, Gordon Lindsay stopped believing in British Israelism, along with most of the rest of Pentecostalism, and like everyone else, they're embarrassed by their past (laughs) and don't want to talk about it no more, right? That's my opinion
0: my opinion, matches William Branham when Branham said he was nearly arrested for it. You've got this, you know, it was the greatest sedition trial of World War II in the United States. These men, I believe a lot of them were almost arrested. I found one newspaper article that said there were as many as 50,000 people who were at risk at the same of the same prosecution in the United States. And I think even though Gerald Winrod got off you know he narrowly escaped being prosecuted it was a heavy heavy prison sentence we're talking most of his life would have been in prison i believe that many of these men thought that this was just the first of many similar trials that would happen and they would be also convicted so all of a sudden gordon Lindsay disappears right you know it's right right about the same time that he disappears
1: yeah it, it, it it's something else and 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 this is, I think it's so important, this is what Gordon Lindsay was doing in the immediate years leading up to him starting officially working with William Branham. What was Gordon Lindsay doing in the years before he started working with William Branham? He was organizing the National British Israelite Conferences. He was a a leader in the four-square churches of Amy Semple McPherson, which had a Nazi (laughs) preaching at their headquarters church. You know, this is what Gordon Lindsay was doing in the immediate Years before he started working with William Branham. And, yeah, that that says something to me. You know, and whatever the case, though, you know, whatever the case, Gordon Lindsay was definitely in the Foursquare Churches. He was in the same denomination as Wesley Swift, as Amy Sibble McPherson, playing host to, you know, Gerald Winrod. And during those same years, you know, he, he definitely had a deep passion uh, for British Israelism. And so... Yeah. I think this brings us up to about 1947 now.
0: It does. And, And here's an interesting fact I'll throw out there. So William Branham, we know that his history had been rewritten. You know prior to 1947 we found the 1945 i was not disobedient to the heavenly vision he had this wide sweeping healing revival in 1945 we have traced his healing revivals all the way back to the 20s he's holding revivals with roy davis who is the who was the second in command of the ku klux Klan. And Caleb Ridley, who was the supreme religious chaplain of the Klan in Tennessee, so that's 1929, from 1929 to 1945, William Branham is working with the white supremacists to the extent that he becomes so famous doing it that he holds his own revivals 1945. And then it disappears, and later he rewrites his history and says he was not given this alleged gift of healing until, quote, the very day Israel became a nation, and he says 1947, but the nation of Israel actually formed 1948. So William Branham's history has been rewritten. Gordon Lindsay searched the newspapers. He was heavily advertised evangelist he was touring with the big guys he was touring with the white supremacist big guys and the con men and the crook big guys but nevertheless he was touring with the big guys the last advertisement that I have been able to find for Gordon Lindsay was May of 1944 the sedition trial was the great sedition trial of 1944 the very next advertisement I see for Gordon Lindsay is November of 1947 with William Branham, all of that time between there, there is nothing of significance of, of Gordon Lindsay. I think maybe I found one obituary where he's named, and I can't even tell if it's him, but nineteen forty four to nineteen forty seven there is absolutely nothing
1: It's unusual it's unusual you know and so as he comes to start working with William Branham, um, according to william Branham's official biography, and keep in mind. Gordon Lindsay wrote William Branham's official biography. (laughs) He did. (laughs) So according to William Branham's official biography, they met in 1947. Um, You know, William Branham before that, we know, had certainly already been touring with little David Walker, working with W.D.E. Kidson as his campaign manager, and William Branham According to the official story, was in L is was in Los Angeles during 1946, right? So that's the earliest date we can definitely put William Branham in Los Angeles is 1946. He was there with Kidston. Um, but according to the official story, Jack Moore from Louisiana, um, Shreveport, knew Gordon Lindsay and invited Gordon Lindsay to come join the, their campaign uh In 1947, Jack Moore's father had been a big figure in Pentecostalism, and it was really through him that they they knew Gordon Lindsay. And so, from there, I think we've covered we've covered most of the the early part of William Branham's ministry in our prior episodes. But Gordon Lindsay took William Branham into Canada, where they sparked the latter rain right Sharon an orphanage, and latter rain is the ideological forerunner of what will end up becoming the message, and steeped in British Israelism. And William Brown's fame went far and wide at that point that he starts working with Gordon Lindsay. And uh, you can listen to our episodes on the Voice of Healing and our Latter Rain episodes if you want to get more information on that. But I, I think kind of wrapping this episode up, I want to just focus a little bit on how all this relates to that Malachi 4 prophecy.
0: Yeah, it's a big because, deal.
1: Because the the message interpretation of Malachi 4 was a product of British Israelism, right? Um it's part of their end-time teachings. And, and British Israelism was a key part of Gordon's belief system. And not just his, F.F. F. Bosworth, other figures around William Branham. And for these men, William Branham is Elijah number four. Elijah yes. number four. They've lived through the others, and William Branham is Elijah number four. He's the fourth Elijah in their lives. And I, I think that is so important to realize and wrap your head around that these people around him have been through three Elijahs already— and William Brown's going to be number four. And British Israelism's the vehicle they used to do that. Because, again, I don't I don't talk too much Bible, but you read the book of Malachi, it says, to Israel.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, but you have to realize at that time, they believed they were Israel. British Israelism did they that did. for them. That was the vehicle. That's the <laughs> same vehicle that they used to actually apply the Latter Rain prophecies to themselves, John. Um, yeah. Because, again, the Latter Rain prophecies to Israel so but they believe they were Israel at that point
0: to the people who don't understand the significance of this you know back when the bible was written the old testament they were scrolls they weren't chapters and verses and numbers it was literally a man who sat down and wrote a scroll start to finish the title line of the book of of the scroll of malachi is the And I'm paraphrasing, but basically the prophecy from the Lord written to Israel. And you know we're Gentiles, Charles, but the way in which this—and and I'm not a preacher; I'm not going to pretend to be—but the way in which they have twisted this, the gospel was to the Jew first and then the Gentile, and we're all members of the kingdom through the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the New Testament. Well, these guys twisted the gospel; they basically twisted it such that we are the Israel. Those are those other Gentiles are not the Israel, and therefore. All of these passages of the Old Testament describing prophecies for Israel, we can rewrite those prophecies to point them to modern times. And so they, <laughs> your, your church used the phrase dual statements for William Branham. These guys did the same thing. They were dual prophecies. They would take a prophecy that... Clearly, according to history, was written for the ancient world and then documented its history for the ancient world and pointed to modern times. An example of this, William Branham said that <laughs> the outer drive in Chicago, the lights running to and fro were described in the book of Nahum as the chariots going to and fro. That's because of British Israelism and the dual prophecies. It was prophesied for Nahum's time, which was clearly, you know, for the ancient world. So let's apply it to Chicago in the modern times. British Israelism, I can now take this doctrine from the ancient world and point it to, you know, the 20th century.
1: So, John, maybe let me give this one last tidbit before we wrap up. Um and I know, John, you and I, I think we have a little bit different takes on Gordon Lindsay's, you know, overall outcome. <laughs> Maybe I'll put it that way. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you go last. But, you know, I personally don't want to do uh, to Gordon Lindsay what, um, what we did to him in the message, uh, which is basically turn him into an irredeemable villain. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I worry I worry that maybe some of that could be left over from our time in the message. So I'm just, I'm very cautious. Um, and so I, I do think that there is there is good that Gordon Lindsay did do in his life. There's good things that came out of what he did. Like, it's not like it's all bad. Like right? So I just want to throw that caveat on there. And I think for me, as I look at his life, it seems to me that as you come into the 50s, he appears to drop British Israelism. He appears to drop some of the extreme and radical things from his earlier days. And what I see with Gordon Lindsay is a gradual um, improvement with time. And it it seems like these improvements in him, to me, um, really also coincide with him breaking up with William Branham in the 1950s. And I don't th- personally think that he ever totally got free from all of these influences that started in his youth. But I do see myself a gradual improvement with time.
0: Yeah, I guess for me, it's more complex. It's not black or white. <laughs> you know, in the cult, Charles, any cult of personality, you're trained into this very black or white world. And when once you leave, you realize there's this whole realm of gray that the cult has either hidden from you or you just simply couldn't see. I see... William Branham's cult of personality from its inception was a political cult. There's no question about this. We've proven that beyond the shadow of a doubt. I think I give you from the religious side, I think I can see where Gordon Lindsay, from a religious side, he was tamed down quite a bit in his later years. I'll give you that. But if you take a step back from the religion— In this early years, it was also a political cult that Gordon Lindsay was a member of. Then there's this big parting of ways, which is extremely fascinating. We'll get into into the next episode. But the two men just kind of diverged. William Branham took the hyper political side. And we're going to get into that. And that's crazy interesting because it ties into the civil rights and a few other things. Gordon Lindsay took the hyper lights, cameras, action, showbiz type of religion side. And anytime I see a man who has, <laughs> has went that route where they're making large sums of money, people are giving them large sums of money, often who don't have the money to give, I really question the intent. So for me, I see Yes, from a religious standpoint, it wasn't as cultish in Gordon Lindsay's later years. I still see it as somewhat problematic. I'll just put it like that. Although, you know, it was different. It was tamed down. I don't, at least to my knowledge, I don't see a single new Elijah figure coming into Gordon Lindsay's promotion, although he's promoting all these other ministries. So yes, it's tamer. I'll give you that. But <clears throat> anyway, this is a, again, it was a very black or white mentality we had. And this show rides <laughs> right down the middle of the gray. So <laughs> so if you enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org and christiangospelchurch.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the healing revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Join us again next week. We've got a great episode coming.